They come in the night, rising from the grave with maws agape and fingers outstretched in search of the one thing that will feed their eternal, slow-moving hunger. Brains. From tales based in voodoo culture to films ranging from Night of the Living Dead to 28 Days Later, there has been an ongoing fascination with the possibility of the undead returning to walk among us. However, it seems there just may be reasons to perhaps take the zombie threat just a little more seriously. Welcome. I'm Rocket Fox. Join me as we embrace the strange. exception of some modern iterations, when many think of zombies, myself included, one tends to think of slow-moving, ravenous, power through sheer determination and numbers. For the most part, older examples of the undead are startling, but not the fastest nor smartest enemies in the horde. So what is it about them that is so horrifying? In a major way, if we take a look individually, I think there is a fear of becoming the zombie. After all, it takes one bite, and if you aren't consumed literally, you become consumed metaphorically and join the ranks of mindless mobile corpses. Your body and mind become no longer your own, and yet you are still moving and acting. You become a hollow puppet of sorts, which, to me, represents a loss of self that runs pretty psychologically deep as far as fears go. On a broader scale, however, if we look at just what zombies are and how they operate and spread, we see something much simpler and fairly easy to define. Disease. Granted, Disease to the max, topped with paranormal sprinkles. Disease nonetheless, passing from carrier to carrier and infecting all who come in contact with it. There is no cure, there is no vaccine, and those who remain simply have to watch helplessly as the world slowly succumbs to it. Then, develop into a new race of glorious undead who build a gourmet brain-centric civilization over the cities that once were. Or maybe not. But in the here and now, while there may not be anything that reanimates the dead, so to speak, as it turns out, there are a few circumstances that make good on the turning one into a mindless shell of one's former self while appearing very zombie-esque. The first tale I have for you would have made a far different movie of Bambi. He can call me Flower if he wants to. 
It is chronic wasting disease, and it's a fatal neurological illness that happens when a malformed brain protein begins to kill off normal brain proteins. Not unlike a tiny version of an undead film classic, and it's currently affecting deer populations in 251 countries and 24 U.S. states and counting. Much like its iconic counterpart, CWD moves slowly, taking up to a year to show in the affected deer or moose. But when it does, it causes the animal to become listless. Drooling, losing a lot of weight, and sometimes becoming aggressive. It spreads quickly through animal contact, contaminated food and water, and fecal matter. And even once an infected animal dies, the body remains a threat of contamination. Also, like classic zombieism, there is no known vaccine, treatment, or cure. Now, any time a disease spreads through an animal population, there is reason for concern. However, CWD is particularly alarming not only because it's hard to diagnose. On first pass, it could simply appear as malnutrition, for example, or because its range is continuing to expand, but because of the possibility that chronic wasting disease could spread to humans. Breathe a sigh of relief as it hasn't happened yet. However, there is concern. The protein behind CWD is very closely related to the one behind mad cow disease, which, interestingly enough, is also related to human degenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Michael Osterholm, the director of the Center for Infectious Diseases Research and Policy at University of Minnesota, says that it is probably that human cases of chronic wasting disease associated with consumption with contaminated meat will be documented in the years ahead. It's possible the number of human cases will be substantial and not isolated events. For the safety of not only the deer and moose population, but people who may come in contact with said contaminated meat, the CDC is recommending that hunters avoid shooting any animal that looks unwell and make absolutely sure to have their meat tested if obtained from an area where the disease is active. Though, in my humble opinion, I may opt to test the meat regardless of the area, just knowing what's at risk. Additionally, Everyone who may come into contact with one of these animals' carcasses needs to wear gloves and limit exposure to the internal organs, especially the brain and spinal cord. As someone who may have a bit more than a passing familiarity in working with naturally deceased animal parts, a story for a different day, I would definitely second wearing gloves when dealing with exposure to any parts of anything dead. Full stop. Of course, a disease that affects a population of creatures through contact and the natural circumstances of migration and spread are one frightening thing. But what about when zombies are created through more deliberate intentionality? When one's mind is suddenly rendered dull, leaving their body to be then puppeted to actions of their own slow demise? 
horrifyingly, there exist not one, but several very real tales of this exact scene unfolding. We just need to take a little closer look at the world around us. And for this next tale, we need to take a closer look at a spider web in Ecuador. To paraphrase modern patron saint of art Bob Ross, it was a happy, horrifying accident. Felipe Fernandez Fournier, a biologist who was studying parasites of the Anilosimus eximius spiders, happened to notice something strange one day when peeking in on these tiny social arachnids. Normally, they were collective hunters that rarely left their cozy nests. On this day, though, Fernandez Fournier happened to see that one of these little eight-legged creatures had struck off on its own. Curious, he followed until the spider stopped and began to spin a strange cocoon-shaped object. Like any good biologist might, he began taking notes and eventually took some cocoons as samples back to the lab. In true nightmarish fashion, eventually what emerged were not the same sleepy spiders that went in, but small wasps from the Zetipoda genus. One of the co-authors of the study on this fascinating toxic relationship is Samantha Strauss of the University of British Columbia, who says that the environment in Ecuador is intense, so that the web is basically a protective cage for the wasp to keep growing. And indeed, what happens is a female wasp will lay her eggs on the abdomen of the unsuspecting spider. When the baby larvae emerge, they attach to said spider tummy and feed on the hemolymph, or essentially spider blood. As time goes on and the larva grows, it begins to take control over the spider by injecting it with a hormone until it drives its meal like an eight-legged RV away from the colony and directs it to spin the cocoon, which is a structure these spiders just don't build natively. Once safely tucked away, the larva continues to grow and feast until the spider is no more and the wasp reaches adulthood to then emerge and continue the cycle. And just as this strange relationship continues on, so goes a strange many in the insect world, including parasitic worms called acanthocephalans that are sometimes eaten by pill bugs, who are then taken over by their parasitic will. As these worms need to somehow end up in a bird's digestive tract to fully mature, which is an interesting evolutionary choice, they drive their pill bug cars off normal course, forcing these poor insects away from their dark hiding spaces of choice and onto lightly colored surfaces in broad daylight, where they will wait to be seen and ultimately eaten by birds, so that the worm can wiggle its way into the next phase of its life. There are countless other examples, and if the topic interests you, I highly encourage you to even just search zombies in nature. You may be surprised at the amount of chilling and fascinating things that go on under our very noses. For our last tale today, 
We zoom back out from the intimate world of insects and into our own. We've spoken about neurological diseases in deer and moose and how it may be possible that this can transmit to humans. But what about something far more aggressive that can and has already made the leap from animal to person? Imagine, if you will, your arm itches badly. You know you shouldn't scratch it, but it's so irritating. You don't know if you're coming down with something, your head hurts, and you've been feeling warm. You don't have a thermometer, but according to the touch test, you're burning up. Is something really wrong? You don't know. You can't stop thinking about it, though. You find your heart is beating really hard at strange times. Your stomach is upset. And while you've tried to eat a little, you've thrown it up. You may give it another try in a little bit. Soon, you're pacing. You can't sit still. You begin to note everything in your apartment that's ever irritated you. You don't even know where some of it has come from, and there have been a few moments where you've forgotten where you are. You haven't been able to sleep because your heart is beating so hard, and every time you fall asleep and manage to drift off, you keep having these vivid, horrific dreams. There's a knock at the door, and you you swear you can see the walls moving toward you. The door bangs harder and harder until it forcefully swings in and you cry out, but your voice, your voice won't make a sound. You can't catch your breath, and, and your body starts to shake and heave. You try to wipe your mouth because you can feel saliva dripping down your cheek, but you can't raise your hand. It doesn't feel like it belongs to you anymore. Someone you vaguely feel like you may recognize, but their face doesn't look familiar. Their their voice sounds far away, but their visage ebbs and flows in and out of focus until everything rushes in and then fades to black. These are symptoms of rabies. Most of us will have heard of it, the viral infection that spreads from frothy-mouthed infected animals via bite, makes you afraid of water, requires a stomach shot. There are some important things to know about rabies, however. Every year, between one to three people in the U.S. get it. However, globally, tens of thousands die each year, primarily in rural Southeast Asia and Africa, over 95% of those bites being caused by dogs. It gets into the nervous system and produces inflammation of the brain, causing coma and death, and can affect the body in one of two ways, jumping straight into the nervous system and heading for the brain, or 
replicating in the muscle tissue where it stays out of sight from the host's immune system, entering the nervous system through the neuromuscular junctions. Likewise, there are two types of rabies, furious or encephalitic rabies, which is what occurs in 80% of human cases, and paralytic rabies, in which paralysis is the main symptom. During the incubation, it can take anywhere from 3 to 12 weeks for symptoms to appear, less the closer the bite is to the brain. But it has been recorded as taking more than two years. Most of the time, once the symptoms appear, rabies is fatal. That said, there was a case in 2004 where Gianna Geis Frazetto became the first person ever to survive rabies without being vaccinated. Bearing in mind, she had to relearn how to read, walk, and talk. All in all, it's best to stay on the safe side and get the shot immediately after a bite and not wait to find out. As far as symptoms go, one could see how rabies could easily have been an inspiration for zombies and the undead. The early symptoms can include high fever, headache, anxiety, sore throat and cough, nausea and vomiting, and discomfort and itching at the sight of the bite. More advanced symptoms move on to confusion and aggression, partial paralysis, rigid neck muscles, involuntary muscle twitching, convulsions, hyperventilation and difficulty breathing, hypersalivation and frothing at the mouth, fear of water, which, interestingly, I discovered is due to a person having difficulty swallowing, hallucinations, nightmares and insomnia, a fear of the light, and Lastly, uh, perhaps it being good that this symptom was not an inspiration for our modern zombie films, uh, priapism, or permanent erection in men. <coughs> Following comes a coma, then death in a matter of hours. <coughs> Seriously, though, rabies is nothing to scoff at. If you ever find yourself in a situation having been bitten, scratched, or even licked in an open wound by an animal with possible rabies, the recommended thing to do is first wash any place of possible contamination for 15 minutes with soapy water, providone iodine, or detergent. Then go for a series of shots immediately before symptoms show up. Additionally, there is no treatment like prevention, and vaccinating all domestic animals and pets is a great way to start. In fact, in Switzerland, authorities distributed vaccine-laced chicken heads throughout the Swiss Alps, causing the fox population to immunize themselves by nomming the vaccine, leading to a country that is now almost rabies-free. Definitely also take precautions when traveling as well, as many times animals in different geographic regions may have different exposures and roaming animal rates, which could, well, bite you by surprise. While frightening true tales these all may be, chronic wasting disease is being carefully monitored. Neither you nor I are likely to be a wasp vehicle anytime soon. 
And rabies in humans is still rare in many places. Not to let slide by that again, more rural areas in some countries do suffer from a substantial number of deaths each year from this brutal infection. All of that to say, be cautious, stay safe. Tales of Terror find their power by playing on primal fears, and zombies and the undead are no different. When it comes to the contagion portion of that mythos, learning about the truths, facts, and how we can protect ourselves become our true weapon, and how we can restock those brains. Thank you so much for joining me through this week's episode of The Fantastically Strange. I hope that you've enjoyed our journey. Come visit for a spell at fantasticallystrange.com and on Instagram at fantasticallystrange and Twitter at fantasticoddpod. I've been posting some things between shows that I think you might enjoy. If you've enjoyed the show so far, please let me know. Maybe even a follow, share, or review. I write, research, edit, and do all the things myself, and I am so honored and beyond happy to be able to bring you stories about the topics I'm passionate about, and your ear means the world to me. If you do have any topics you'd like to see, or any questions, comments, or just to say hi, email me at fantasticallystrange at rocketfox.com. Now, if you would like to know about different ways you could support the show— I wouldn't say no to you visiting patreon.com slash rocketfox, where you can find different tier levels that will get you access to early podcast release, outtakes, and other special bonus content, as well as other content that comes from my other work as well. All sources, music, and sound effects are linked and credited in the show info. The amazing logo illustration is by Constance Hermit, and the killer intro song, Hey Dorothy, is by Cruise Machine. Thanks again, and I can't wait to see you next time. Surrender.